community was where I organized. And it wasn't even about the yes to no or the specific thing. It was about having a team. And I, I, you know, I like mixed martial arts. I like, I like to get in the ring and fighting. I, you have to have good stance. Your feet have to be planted. And I felt like every time I was going to swing at the bad ideas, I didn't have a community with a footing. I was swinging, I was hitting, and I was throwing myself backwards with my strong punch. And the stronger I punched, the more I knocked myself down. And like that, that was weird, especially when I was conditioned to think that this all mattered and that I could make a difference, right, as an American. So like, at, I realized that it was really about community, and I built community. And as community grew, then the solutions came out of that, not out of my idea, not out of an idea that needed to be done and then engage and convince people. It was talk to hundreds of people, coordinate with thousands of people over time, and then do something. And the something for us came down to simple actions like create some biofuels, see what could happen there. Grow those biofuels, see what could happen there. Oh, the, fuel, the, so, the, the, the soil that I need to grow the biofuels isn't good enough, so now I need to understand soil. Like, so this, you know, this rabbit hole led us down the, into what is now, I think, one of the better ways to approach this, which is through the food and energy and, uh, frankly, through making a better relationship with the earth. Hello, LookUp listeners. Welcome to another episode of the LookUp podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein. And as always, I want to start off with a big thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen along and follow my journey as I explore various curiosities around the current state of the world and our humanity and try to find tools and experiences and educational content that can help all of us to level up ourselves and our society. We are now in week six of the quarantine due to the coronavirus pandemic that has swept across our world. And we're only now starting to see the second and third order consequences of this pandemic. 20 million plus, I think actually 24 million plus Americans are now unemployed. We've seen 5% of the United States meet distribution come offline as supply chains are being tested. And one of the reasons why we're seeing the breakdown in supply chains of medicine and important healthcare equipment, as well as our food, is because we have focused for so long on building efficient supply chains, low cost, high speed, that we have lost sight of building resilient supply chains that could survive these types of shocks. And I think that's what the regenerative movement is about. And so on this episode, I had the privilege of speaking to Joshua Hughes, who is working at the forefront of the regenerative agriculture and regenerative community building space. And we'll get into exactly what the definition of regenerative is later in this episode. But Josh's story is interesting. He grew up in a working class family in Medford, Oregon, who had an auto salvage business. And through working in the auto salvage industry, he created a secure recycling company and waste management business for the Pacific Northwest, which led him to realize just how wasteful our current linear supply chains are as he was destroying things like Apple laptops that didn't go to use, but had to be moved off the shelves. This and other issues like 9-11 led Joshua to become politically activated and he left his office job to become an activist and start a biofuels cooperative. But it wasn't until 2006 when he relocated to Costa Rica 
purchased with nine friends a few acres of deforested land with the intention of reforestation. And so they've planted thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of trees and regrew the rainforest down in Costa Rica. Now, as Joshua mentioned, there's wildlife coming back to that land, jaguars roaming, venomous snakes, but the ecosystem has been restored. And so that's what Black Sheep, his company is all about. Black Sheep is directly confronting the global assault on the environment and vulnerable communities through creative business solutions. And we'll talk more about Black Sheep in this show. But this episode gets me really fired up because I think that there is so much that is broken in our society and so many issues that go unspoken. And part of the reason why I started Look Up is to raise awareness for the voices of these communities that are implementing creative solutions on the fringe. And that's what Joshua does with Black Sheep. After almost 15 years in Costa Rica, he just returned back to Oregon and his voice will be heard. I think it's more important than ever that it is heard. And so I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope that you learn a ton. I've left a bunch of important information in the show links. Thank you to those of you who are supporting the show by sharing. If you haven't shared with your community and you love the show, please do. If you haven't given this show a review on iTunes or whatever your podcast app is and you love listening, please give me a review. This will help to continue to grow the community and get these important messages out. And finally, I've just launched uh, my Patreon account for the first time. You'll notice that there's no advertising on this show. And so if you can support the Patreon account, I have a tier as low as $1 per month, which is the equivalent of three cups of coffee or even fewer cups of coffee, depending on where you live in this world, uh, for the whole year of content that I create. So, you know, I'm doing this all myself with my sound engineer, Sam, and these episodes cost money. And I know that there's a ton of content out there that's, that's free. And so it's hard to decide to support content creators in this way, which is why I also have additional tiers. I'm going to be doing some one-time offers around downloadable meditation classes, and also for the highest tiers, one-on-one sessions with me to teach you yoga and breath work and meditation, and even to just have conversations. Uh, So we'll have live Q&As, we'll have community-specific opportunities, a new Discord channel. So I'm working on that right now. If you have any ideas, anything that you'd like to see me implement for community contributors, please reach out and let me know. It's an exciting time for this show. I mean, we've been, as you can tell, just super active over the last few weeks. I've been leaning into this more. I love this work. I'm so, so appreciative for you following along. And that's really it for me. So without further ado, I want to bring you Joshua Hughes from Black Sheep. Hope you listen, learn, and this will help you to start to look up, look around, and look within. So Josh, thank you for coming on the Look Up podcast. I really appreciate it. I know we 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 just had some technical difficulties, but we're figuring it out as we go. Oh, yeah, that's the name of the game where I live in Costa Rica: technical difficulties. So, yeah, absolutely. I can imagine it's crazy. And and not only do you live in Costa Rica, it's not like you're down in uh, San Jose, but you're 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 out there. Yeah, well, we we chose. I chose to buy a place that was kind of off grid. I wanted to see what would happen if I 
I took my, my ideas and threw them into the jungle. So we, we bought a farm about 20 miles from pavement and about 30 miles from internet. So it's been a, it's been an exciting one, but we play a lot of chess and a lot of board games and we talk a lot and read a lot of books. So we didn't disconnect from the world or humans, just mostly from, you know, the greater culture most of the time. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's start there. Let's talk about that. You know, when, when did you decide that you were going to go to Costa Rica and like what sparked that decision? Um, and you know, how long ago was this? G- give me the story. Well, I had many, I, you know, I had a lot of their steps and, uh, yeah, it took a minute. So in, in, I was kind of apolitical. I was raised in a small poor, not poor, but cash poor family in Southern Oregon and okay. uh, very much, a red, very much a red state, but mostly just kind of apolitical. And 9-11 happened, uh, you know, and surprised us all. And for me, I had been very, very focused. I was just very focused on my, my life, my family, creating a, I don't know, a good situation for the community around me. And I hadn't really thought bigger than that. Uh, mm-hmm. And on 9-11, it just shocked me. I felt pretty ignorant uh, that morning. And I, I was scared like everyone, but I felt mostly dumb. I didn't know why things were happening. So I, t- I took a deep dive into geopolitics. I took a deep dive into what was happening in the world. Um, and it led me, you know, full circle back to like what I was doing in the world and what my job was. And just, it just made me start questioning everything as I got, as I got deeper into perspective. And what, what, what were you doing? What were you doing at that time? I hate that question, but, but I can't take it back now. So I was, uh, I was doing what I thought was a recycling job. I started a recycling or started working with a small recycler in Portland, Oregon Mm. in in 99. And it grew into a very large like document destruction and, and more than that, like a product destruction company. So I was, I was destroying most of the sensitive information. Initially, I kind of thought I was protecting our IDs. It was kind of like a, I felt good about what I was doing. I was protecting your information from going to the dumpster, I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe helping HIPAA laws so nobody could steal your identity or mess with your health, right? Yeah. Uh, your health records. So that's how it felt at first. And then I had a big job one day. And a few weeks later, I realized I shredded all of Enron's records in the Northwest. No. Oh, my God. That's insane. I'll probably I probably can't no even say idea. that out loud, but I'll say it again. I shredded all of Enron's records one day. They had, they had an HQ in, in Portland? Enron? They had, yeah. They bought PG&E and they owned a big, and they had corporate offices up there. And I got a call one day to get like a frantic shredding job done. And it was like a warehouse the size of. Uh, the Indiana Jones warehouse, the end of movie one, you know? Yeah, yeah. The, in the it was like that with boxes. And I shredded it all, did my job normal. And then, you know, got some perspective a week later when I saw the news. And I started to realize that what I was doing is probably more covering up the, the discovery process, stopping lawyers and governments from doing their work and confirming what companies were doing wrong. So I felt pretty bad about that. And then as our business grew and grew, it grew into destroying mostly materials and products and I was shredding like brand new Apple Mac like laptops the second they like still in the box by the shipping container every day. Brand new Versace jeans all day long. Why? Brand new. Well, because overproduction, because supply side capitalism is not the way to go. It produces more than it needs. So it can have quarterly bonuses and then it destroys it at the end of the quarter or the end of the year when it doesn't sell it. And so I saw this, it just started to make me feel very dirty about recycling. I was mostly just covering up supply side supply side economics which is dirty so so you were you were at the tail end of the linear supply chain that guides the vast majority of our economics today and you saw firsthand just how how wasteful it was 
and then also simultaneously got to got to see how wasteful some of the ideas were and and <laughs> as you were shredding them <laughs> yeah for sure and and just like being a part of covering things up and it, and it felt it was supposed to feel good though like you're doing this recycling thing and, and also recycling was very much a a green smokescreen that even being in Portland, Oregon, a very green place, very bike friendly city where, you know, we're, yeah. we're progressive, but I was mostly just throwing away stuff as fast as I could. And if you want to know what's happening in society, you can ask your garbage man, they know what's going on. And I had been shredding all of like original documents for mortgage companies. Like this, the ink was still wet and we're shredding these original docs. And I was like, there's a housing crisis about to burst. And so I was sort of like this chicken little for about three or four years telling everybody the housing market was, it was crummy and a big lie and everybody thought I was just paranoid. That's so, <laughs> so, that, that's so wild. So that was like, that was 2006 to 2008. And just, to, I, I apologize for interrupting. To 06. Oh, 03 to 06? Up to that. Yeah, it was like the, the building of the housing market, the bubble. We could see it from so, the garbage company. It's, it's, it's so funny. The reason I, I ask is because I was a senior in high school in 2006 and I was working a, um, a job at a, at a mortgage broker, uh, just basically for some extra scratch after school. Um, you know, when I wasn't playing sports, I was doing like a, like a five to nine and I would just make phone calls and basically they, there was a script and it was like, Hey, you know, why don't you refinance your house? I can get you this low adjustable rate. And it was basically in the end, I realized it was just these bait rates that would then switch over after a year and get people to mortgage and double mortgage their homes. And I went home to my parents, you know, and I was like, Hey guys, this is strange, but these people are like giving me their social security numbers over the phone, you know, and I've never met them and running credit and, and they're looking for cash and I'm running credit checks on housing. And I think I had a similar intuition to yours, which was, this is not, this is not a sustainable system, you know, and I ended up leaving that place, but it was bizarre, bizarre world. Yeah. It always gets bizarre right before these things happen. And there's like a bizarreness and I don't mean to be too frank about this, but there's, it always gets a little bizarre when there's crime or fascism going on, to be frank. Mm. Um, it, things get weird and it was getting weird. And, you know, there was, uh, the, the amount of, I don't know, I could, I could correct this part. It wasn't just getting weird. As I, as that was happening, I was really engaging in activism. So I was out in the streets trying to do some protesting. I went to some farmers markets, signed some, you know, carry a peace flag with a few old ladies. <laughs> and that was the first time I'd ever done that because I was like, "Oh, hey, I'm recognizing something's weird. I'm going to voice my opinion." And as, uh, frankly, a white guy in America, that every time I'd voice my opinion, it, it sort of, you know, I thought I could get something done. And when I tried to get something done with like voicing my opinion to my federal or state government, there was like billy clubs and pepper spray. Mm. And it got very, it became, it started to really, I, I deep dove in my own psyche again about why are they defending or why are they attacking old ladies and college students for, for having peace signs on a Thursday afternoon at a farmer's market? Like what, what would inspire a man to pepper spray me? Uh, you know, and, I, yeah. and so I really, I had, I had to check in with what America was, what it was to me, what it was to the cultures around me. And then I deep dove into, into reading. I started, you know, I met Noam Chomsky at that time and Howard Zinn. And, uh, you know, I started following, so started listening to intelligent we'll, people who understood we'll, history. We'll post the link to um, Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States of America. That's a critical read. Yeah. I just really like made me want to check in and be, I started recognizing what it meant to be a good American. Like not what it meant to just understand what date a president was born and died. Uh, but what it meant, what he, what they were doing, and why. 
Um, I'm just you're I, I, I'm I'm interrupting a bit, but uh, but what an incredible you know addition to our education system a, a course in in civic duty or activism would be, right? Like as I think through how broken I mean we can get, we'll get into I'm sure many of the broken structures um, that guide our our global you know political economic machine, but um, you know one of them is clearly education, and I would love to see instead of like learning you know to recite the presidents of the United States and what years they were presidents. How about, you know, how to, how to participate in civic duty? How about activism? You know, things like that. I think a lot of us, particularly millennials, like don't even know, you know, how to get involved. It feels so, it feels so, um, so meta or so heavy to get involved. And a lot of the problems feel so large. It's like, where does one even begin? Um, So you got involved. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's a good question. That's what people always ask. I, my, my answer to that always is find something you love, find something you want to protect and then see what you can do. And it can be very small or very big. And, you know, I chose to stick my flag in like some big causes, like stopping wars overseas. And that led me back to like why they happen after, you know, you start standing against a bad idea and then maybe you go deeper and then you find out, well, Hey, it's also me. I'm consuming a ton of fuel every day. And as I'm in the street screaming, at these politicians or these police that are pepper spraying us, like I'm going home and using my credit card to create more money in a moment, more fiat capital while I buy fuel that came from Iraq or whatever, or from, from a fracking well. So I, you know, feeling like a hypocrite really hurts. And I, and I felt a hypocrisy that I did not like, and I'd always felt like I did what I wanted to do in life or that I could, I made decisions and I did things and I, I'd hope they were good, as good as possible. And I would refine them like we do to make sure you're affecting people well and yourself and, and, uh, you know, as I checked in on this, I, I realized how deep the hypocrisy felt and I, I needed to change. So I started shifting my life. I started dedicating more time, not to activism, but to activate causes. And um, college used to be what you're saying. You used to like go off to university and run into this professor that would help you learn how to be an activist. It's, it's kind of changed. And the colleges that were really good at that before, they got a lot of pressure not to do that anymore from their corporate sponsors. And they get a lot of pressure from all sides of the, from the parents of the schools to the politicians around them. There's been some really interesting unfoldings in the last years, like Evergreen Evergreen College in in Washington State. I don't know if you know much about their story, but it's something people should look into, uh, Brett Weinstein and what happened up there. So there's been, there's been a real check on the university system where it hasn't, it hasn't helped us develop that, that spirit of of revolution uh, and, or, or give us, those small things that we well, can start doing. It, I mean, it's so funny because when, uh, when I graduated college, I was, uh, I would have called myself a, an Austrian free market libertarian. And, and, you know, there's, there's some things that come, come along with that, which I think liber- libertarian ideals, there's a lot of really good, there's a lot of good ideas in there. Um, but uh, it's just, I don't know where I'm, where I was going with this, but, but the, it's, this is what I was going to say. There's like this mimetic idea or this idea of what capitalism should look like or is when markets are allowed to roam free um, that they're supposed to self-correct but it feels like what happens is the idea itself starts to 
spread. I'm having this image of like an oil spill almost to spread into all the institutions. So what you're describing at Evergreen, which I would love to hear more about it, is like, you know, the way that these institutions that were meant to be checks on ideas got actually, you know, not usurped by these ideas, but like infiltrated by these ideas to the extent that our universities are basically just an extension of the, what do I want to call the system? Like right now, like my friends all doing science. Yeah. Well, I know, like my friends pay to go to college and then they do the research for these big companies and that research is taken and privatized. So we've created like this collective cost or what is Chomsky called? Like the, the collectivism of the expense and of the investment, but then the privatization of the, of the gains and of the profits. Yeah. So you can really feel that in the university system, not to diss on education, right? Like I wish I'd have had better chances to go to better schools and stuff, but, but it didn't work out for me because I come from like the, the class that doesn't really get to do those things automatically. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really, what you were saying there a minute ago really affected me. It's, it's, there's a libertarianism is interesting because in like a a world where all men are angels, it works, but there's, there tends to be a a type of libertarianism that's arose around me at least in like redneck Oregon, which was when you're born on third base, but you think you hit a triple. Okay. Mm. And, and, and not, and not, and not to forget libertarians can tend to forget history or not want to start history before they got theirs. And, and, you know, we private in, in libertarianism or the, the free marketism you're speaking of, which sounds good. If, if, if you start doing that with water and air, <laughs> then all of a sudden competition and these market things work for like the most basic things, like how you get a drink. And, and that's like those, we had to, we have to make a decision of where those things end and where they begin. I want that innovative libertarian. I want that innovative, whatever it is that comes from capitalism that helps things grow and expand and try new things. That's great. But that needs to be on those edges where it, where it, just, where it needs to be, you know, and the, the way a new sneaker is going to help me jump and land, not the way I get a drink of water in my mouth. There's a difference. And there's, there's certain things we need to kind of keep out of that world and out of the free market. And then there's things we can put in the free market. And the, the libertarianism idea has maybe gone too far in the way that it thinks it can be all free market all the time for everything. Well, what I, that's such a great point. For one, you know, as you said, starting on third base, you think about, okay, if, if markets are left to roam free, let's start with a blank slate like, like the moon or something. Let's say we were going to go – or Mars. We're going to go to Mars, right? Okay, so, so let's let the markets run free. So who's going to – who gets what? And it's a, it's a power struggle. It's basically a power struggle. And it's how important is the garbage guy? We're learning that right now, right? During yeah. this crisis. How important is the teacher compared to the income you were giving the developer at Microsoft? And when you start fresh, those people now, fresh as of today for me means garbage men and mailmen are much more important than they ever were, right? Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're, we're having a complete recalibration of value across society. And I think what's so, what's so ironic about, and I'm glad we started with activism because I feel like this moment in time is a moment where it's really hard not to be an activist, not to want to get involved in some cause because, you know, 17 million Americans lost their jobs over the last three weeks. And yet the stock markets are ripping upwards. Our um, best week since 1938. Yeah. Best week since I, you know, they're up, I think 15% or something like that. And we all know the game, you know, the vast majority of the the money that has been created over the last three weeks through this $2 trillion stimulus program is going to go into the pockets of those that already have. And the game it's is rigged. It's 10 trillion. It's 10 trillion with when, the- Yeah, when you count the Fed. 
So, so the two trillion fiscal stimulus and then the additional, you know, open-ended monetary stimulus coming from the Fed to bail out risk parity hedge funds, which we can define later, to bail out corporate um, high-yield debt investors. And one of the things that so this is not capitalism. No, no, this is actually a type of corporate fascism. Yes, exactly. A few people, a, a few bureaucracies, even not even people, to be honest. Like we have to check in on this stuff, and maybe this shit doesn't matter so much when it's going well, but it matters when there's an emergency, and 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 like we're trying to piece together a state that can help us now, but we disassembled that state for years, and the things that brought us into having a middle class, those those actions where we forced people to maybe we forced the wealthy to pay some taxes, like we used to, <laughs> and yeah. and we built this middle class. We're how are we surprised now? When we know what we've done, you can look at history since what, since Kennedy, we've been reducing the, the taxes on the wealthiest. And I think effectively 17, 15, 17 percent is all some of the wealthiest are going to pay on their income. And, you know, my, my friends pay 50 percent people in the lower class. So by the time you've added all up, like we have a real problem here and we're, we're hopefully going to realize this. I mean, I hope that's what happens. But what's happening in the stock market is kind of proving what you just said is that we're actually just giving the money to the big players again. So maybe we'll recognize that this time. And maybe since all of us are out of work and this isn't just a 9-11 moment where you're out of work for a few weeks, maybe. No, this is this is much longer. Exactly. So this 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 is going to go on and be painful. And This is a good learning opportunity for us. I mean, out of out of depressions, hopefully come new ideas, but, and out of the last depression came a, a state that was more there for well, us. Well, that's why, that's why we're talking. I mean, because I know you're, you're on the cutting edge of, of different systems thinking and, you know, not just thinking systems acting, you know, you've gone out and, and, and started things from the ground, the grass roots level and the ground floor that are, that look quite different than what we have today. And I definitely want to, I want to get into that. Well, you know, it's it for me, I checked in deep and I, all these things led me to a what do I do? Do I just complain with my friends after work? Do I just uh, read books that make me more and more angry or do I try and find actions to take? And I, I, I was angry about energy policy and waste when I when I took my steps and, and fiat systems. <laughs> and I got into I got into creating energy. I got into growing biofuel. I got into growing food. I wanted to see what would happen if I. By, in these areas where propaganda doesn't really matter and mm. bullshit doesn't really matter, it either works or it doesn't on the ground when it comes to growing things. And, uh, and it either poisons the things downstream or it doesn't. So I had to figure out how to not poison everyone downstream. How is me even being like a poor white trash American born on first, you know, not born on third, <laughs> born on first, like, but still born on first and like wanting to figure out how to make sure that I'm not shitting on people below me in this spectrum, right? It's very much a, a challenge. And as we did that, it, it, it brought up so many beautiful solutions, eloquent, beautiful solutions to these biggest problems. And I'm not saying that just as like, a, hey, I run a business, so I want people to think it's all good. I'm cynical. I'm pretty much sure. I, I'm sure a lot of things are going to go way bad before they go better. But however, he says with a giant smile on his face, though, trees, <laughs> trees grow, trees grow like crazy. And I plant trees while I talk about this. So we've planted two million trees in our little project in the middle of nowhere in Costa Rica and helped animals have corridors and help people have connection to nature and now help create a ton of surplus out of my region. So I can I can balance the scales there and you know, the worker co-op owner, the ownership model we've set up is really nothing new. It's just kind of, we're checking back into about okay, the okay. late 1800s, early 1900s systems. So, that used so to- 
so we just went, we just went off. Like we went off in so many different directions. So I'm going to try to, to bring it back. So I'm going to bring it back to where you work because like, there's so much stuff that we touched on. And I'm like, man, how do you even have a conversation like this? Where I feel like, I just feel like there's so many definitions even, right. That we need to, that we need to, we need to work through. Like we're talking about fiat monetary systems and we're talking about corporatism and fascism and all these, these words that represent different ideas and structures and libertarianism and, and, Oh, and oh man, like it's, it's, uh, it's like a where, a where to begin, right? Like there needs to be, there needs to also be like a one-on-one level too. And yes. And so, so yeah, yeah. Let's go, let's go backwards. And I think, I think the way to do it is through your story still. So, so you, you, you got tired of basically shredding, um, you know, shredding every, the waste product of the current system, which, which is the, let's call it the industrial, um, global economy where production is incentivized um, and the supply chains are linear, meaning that there's an, there's an input and then there's an output and then there's waste. And the waste is just garbage. It's trash. And you are on the back end of that managing the waste, um, recycling, quote unquote, but you realize that it was actually just destroying good product. And then- A lot of calories going up in smoke every day. I didn't need to. <laughs> and then, and then you got into activism and your activism was around, was around the wars. This was like 2000, 2003 to 2006 ish, you know, the post nine 11 regime still Bush era. We're in Iraq and Afghanistan and you're doing deep research and realizing that we probably are there because of oil interests. And so now you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create biofuels. That was, was that, is that kind of this, the story? Am I, am I, am well, I, 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 that came to me as we grew into the internet into like where, what real applications we could do. But what came to me really was I need to organize and mm-hmm. that everyone's an activist. You're either an activist for that iPhone that like enslaved someone to make cobalt out of a mine in Africa and then had a factory in China and then logistically got to you. Like we are activists all the time. It's just, are we activists for the things we want or by passive activists for bad ideas? So I, I, I realized that I was already an activist. I was a full-on corporate U.S. activist. <laughs> so I had to start I showing love that. that. Yeah. And, and to think that we're not engaged in something is funny. It's funny to think that you're just kind of normal and that anything active or engaging is, is beyond that. It's like, no, consuming, consuming is a type of activism where you spend your money every day. So that really dawned on me and my crew. And we went deep on our own solutions. So I built a community. Community was where I organized. And it wasn't even about the yes to no or the specific thing. It was about having a team. And I, I you know, I like mixed martial arts. I like, I like to get in the ring and fighting. I, you have to have good stance. Your feet have to be planted. And I felt like every time I was going to swing at the bad ideas, I didn't have a community with a footing. I was swinging, I was hitting, and I was throwing myself backwards with my strong punch. And the stronger I punch, the more I knock myself down. And the, that, that was weird especially when I was conditioned to think this all mattered and that I could make a difference, right, as an American. So like, at, I realized that it was really about community, and I built community. And as community grew, then the solutions came out of that, not out of my idea, not out of an idea that needed to be done and then engage and convince people. It was talk to hundreds of people, coordinate with thousands of people over time, and then do something. And the something for us came down to simple actions like create some biofuel, see what could happen there. Grow those biofuels, see what could happen there. Oh, the fuel, the, sor- the, the, the soil that I need to grow the biofuels isn't good enough. So now I need to understand soil. Like, so this, you know, this rabbit hole led us down the, 
into what is now, I think, one of the better ways to approach this, which is through the food and energy and, uh, frankly, through making a better relationship with the earth and the regenerative uh, needs around us. We can see it. I'm in Oregon right now. They clear cut most of the state in my life. And uh, you can't outsource planting trees. That all has to be done right here. So uh, we really dove into the things that could help community the most, what exposed themselves to us through action, and what happened when we had a big enough team ready to do something. That's, that's what we did. And all the things that that's led to came out of a great collaboration and choosing to live a fun life with community and engaging more, being open, being vulnerable, all those things led to a, a forging of a team that I can trust. I have three or 4,000 people right now on my team and we can do anything like when we, tr- when we choose to try. Fuck yes. <laughs> it's been mostly fun. I'm down in the jungle. Seem like people think it's a struggle. I'm having a great time with lots of friends. So. I mean, I, I think it's it's interesting because as you said, when you first got involved in activism, you were taking the big swings. It was like, I'm going to make change and I'm going to implement that. And and I feel like a lot of us feel that way. It's like, let's, you know, it's it, the hesitancy to become quote unquote an activist. Although, as you said, we're all activists is that it feels so big and we want to go after the, the mega stuff. But in reality, all all of this activism happens. It starts very small. And, and it grows. One thing I want to define, can you define regener- regenerative, the regenerative movement for me? Because it's a word that's starting to become, you've been involved in it for a long time, well before it was this, and, and I'm involved in it only recently, but I can see it already becoming kind of like the word organic. So as someone that's been on the as front line. I, I, I think you discount yourself. You've probably been involved in the regenerative economy. It's, or it's the thing. It's just been in the way you tend to relationships. It's the way you tend to your family. It's the way you have a podcast. Like we're regenerating community right now, not just soil. So I, I, take, a big, I take a big swing at regenerative too because a lot of people uh, have told me in the past, oh, I'd love to do something like that, but I can't live off grid in the jungle. I was like, I need you to be regenerative in your 50th floor high rise in New York more than you. I need you to come plant trees in the jungle. So I like really check in on that with myself and everybody around me that we are, we are also going to build it. We need to implement this in the corporate office, not just on the ground in the jungle and regenerating. But what it means when I say that uh, for my business, I mean that what I'm doing is always creating more and more positive feedback loops instead of negative feedback loops. We're looking into the systems that start to fund and take care of themselves and build on each other instead of systems that are so broken into pieces that all they do is negatively affect other systems. So it can be, it's a very broad term, but it's something that we're all coming, figuring out how to apply in our specific industries. From Patagonia to our small, small farm in Costa Rica, we're trying to collaborate on what regenerative means so it doesn't end up just another sustainable smokescreen. Because sustainability, I mean, at what point did we start trying to sustain it? Because it was pretty much shit already then. So like, <laughs> yeah, so like I want to regenerate and then sustain, right? Mm-hmm. So like we, we need to get that in our heads that it's not good enough yet to sustain. And then, and you know, if you move to the Redwoods in a beautiful spot, sustain it, right? <laughs> if you move to where I did and it's, a, it's been desertified because of cutting it all down, regenerate it. And these regenerative things are like, it, it's amazing. I have systems now where I don't have to put much energy in to get a bunch of calories out, just a simple thing. In permaculture, you can think about efficiency in a lot of ways. And a lot of the times you throw money in there and then efficiencies, it, it like weirds out, it, it, it weirds up the formula. When you're on the ground on my farm, I do like a caloric input, caloric output. If I have to walk 10 miles to eat one banana every day, I'm dead. That's, that's an efficiency you can't beat with money. 
right? So I'm really on this caloric input, caloric output thing. And as we did that on every little system in our, in our, uh, in our farm and in our regenerative agroforestry systems, you start to see all these positive feedback loop systems in five years, 10 years later, it's not investment anymore. I'm just, I just get to withdraw a lot of surplus all the time. So that, to me, that's what regenerative means. You're, you're paying it forward into systems that then positive feedback loop each other. And in nature, there's a ton of ways to get in line with that. In the corporate office world, we're going to have to invent that stuff. And we're going to have to see how it works. And there's a lot of good progressives throughout history to look to. There's, if, if you want to read a good book, Get Up, Stand Up is a great book. And it's about the late 1800s farmer movement that really did try and coalesce around these ideas. But we're, we're, we're almost there on the ground. Now we need to figure out how to, how to get there when it comes to the way we have corporate relationships, how we have relationships with our politicians. I mean, we need regenerative politics right now. We need people that have, feel like they can make a difference in their community. And they're going to have to start doing that with the smallest of things. And all of our media, all they really ever do is point at the biggest problem, the president, the, the, the World Bank, whatever it is. What is it in your area? Because like when I look outside where I'm at now, I know my school needs help. In fact, this, this week, my older neighbors need help because they can't go to the store. So I'm regenerating my community now by helping my neighbors mow their lawn. So you know, it, it's a very loose word. But on our business end, it's going to take us collaborating to come up with something that isn't just another bullshit smoke screen or green screen like sustainability was. I love this. This is such a fun chat. And I'm not trying to be Thank negative you. or take it down. but I, No, I, you're not. You're actually coming out. For me, you're coming across quite positive. Um, because right now, when I moved down there, Mark, it was fucked. It was completely cut for 50 miles, every direction. 60 years ago, they gave these jungle plots away to like get people out of the cities if they'd clear cut them. So like they clear cut this primary forest, but I got to tell you in 10 years of work with a bunch of pretty much amateurs and activists and people who love nature all the way to people who love just riding motorcycles in the jungle, we put together a system that has jaguars walking through the forest again that has mm. macaws, scarlet macaws and stuff flying over my head every day. Like these things happen fast uh, once you unleash nature. So I'm here with a smile while I say these things because I've seen what can happen. Well, I think that's why, you know, I think it's so important, you know, we, to put this in context, let's just like, this is going to be a piece of media that could survive for a very long time. And I want to be conscious of that because we are smack in the middle of a global crisis that we at the scale of which we have never before seen and it's multidimensional and it was triggered by this this virus that was triggered in this place in this way that is so surreal because it was triggered in a place whether it was a bioweapon or whether it was you know it was it was the transmission of a virus from an animal where animals were completely mistreated and treated as inputs to product and then that spread through us and here we are where 5 billion people on this planet are now quarantined. And you talk about regeneration and how fast it can happen. You know, I have friends in Los Angeles that say, I haven't seen weather like this in Los Angeles, consistent weather like this in Los Angeles since I grew up here. I've, I'm 35 years old, you know, and, and I can breathe and the water. And it's just like, oh my God, you know, it, how can you not see that the earth is living, breathing sustaining itself, just like after 10 years, we have no cell, or maybe even less, we have no cell in our body that was there 10 years before. So physically, who are we? The earth is constantly shifting and evolving and changing. And so if that can happen at this level for us to just literally get out of our own way, us being humans, get out of our own way, go take it, go to your room. As I've seen a lot of the, the memes on earth sent us to our rooms, you know, what else can we accomplish 
as humans as far as systems change. And I'm so inspired right now because I feel like if you told me three months ago that we would be all sitting in our fucking rooms, I would have told you you're nuts. And now I know that anything is possible. So why not take that and instead of applying it to fear and anxiety of the world's falling apart and our government's going to collapse and our monetary system's going to collapse and all that jazz, which is fully possible, I hold that. I hold space for those ideas that things are as ugly as they have ever been, but the potentialities around what we can change right now are so they're right in front of our faces. And people like you have been have been building the 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 frameworks um, around the 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 root the roots, let's call them, of what what can grow out of this type of this type of global crisis. And I was, I'm, I'm blabbering a bit because I'm excited, but I was speaking to my partner. I was speaking to my partner about this today. And we were just like, you know, she and I were like, I I think in four or five weeks, most people will go back to, you know, to the grind. Like the, the wheels of the machine will start to churn and it'll be, and then like a locomotive, it'll just faster and faster. People will forget. But at the same time, I think there was enough space and quiet here that, that um, this awakening to uh, the the damage that our linear thinking has done um, will will gain enough traction and scale that we'll start to see new systems arise uh, that will have a meaningful impact, whether they be political, economic, um, community oriented. And well, I, a Jack- lot of what I've done has acquired a belief mm-hmm. that these things, these big things, were possible. And a lot of people, I mean, you might call. What is the word Chris Hedges uses? I forget it, but there's like a sublime madness. It, it took a sublime mm. madness to go off into the jungle 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago and start believing these things or to start leaning into systems that seemed impossible. But this week has shown me, these like three weeks have shown me too, that we could have like a World War II style engagement again. We went from being this one of the, the 17th largest military to the largest military in the world within six months when we engaged when we felt the Nazis were a threat, right? Well, now if we can start seeing our own culture as a threat, maybe we can engage in a different way and, and have that quick change. If we can shut down, and this is expensive, right? What, what is the cost of shutting down right now? I mean, it, it, it's not expensive anymore to look at what it takes to invest in this not happening again over and over and over. And you know, what's interesting is this, this you say this is something that really we don't understand or is historically, you know, we don't have a lot of perspective on this. The Black Plague came out of Wuhan too. Killed 90% of Wuhan before it wept around, wiped around the world. The, the 1918 flu swept around the world with that war. And, you know, like we, we've got, we kind of want to forget these things. But these systems we've built will keep repeating, repeating these things. And, and because of the way technology works and the way acceleration works, um, they're going to happen faster and faster. There won't be 50 or 100 or 200 years between these things anymore because we're so close. And this isn't just a problem the way we, the Chinese treat animals or something. 1990. You were probably born right around then, right? Yeah. You said you were graduating high school in 06. So about 1990, the average Chinese income was $150 a year. Ah. Now it's $13,000 a year. That huge uh, jump forward was basically a huge movement of what? Corporate America, corporations going over there and employing all those folks for very little money. That built up to create, a, a, we, we, initially, we didn't even care about the Chinese. Let's be honest. Like Americans haven't cared about their situation. We haven't cared. Yeah, I mean, it was Russia. Driving out of their buildings. We haven't cared that people are committing suicide at, at Samsung. At Fox we haven't. That's yeah. right. 
So like, well, that turned into when we had the swine flu and the avian flu, they had to wipe out most of their birds and most of their pigs. They're down to eating like wildlife in these markets in for like as primary sources of food because of the corporate systems that have created this, this problem. So we're going to, this is not going to be over or normalized in a few months. We're going to, we now have a consciousness of this for one, people are scared of the potentiality and we're now going to recognize these things in a different way. So, I mean, with SARS happened a few years ago, this happened now, swine flu happened before that. It's only four or five more years till something else happens. And that's not being negative. It's, you see the acceleration. Well, I mean, someone was explaining to me, Terrence McKenna had a theory on the acceleration of time. And it feels one, one common um, psychological phenomenon that's happening right now as I speak to friends across the, the world is the, is the perception of time accelerating. You know, days are going by really fast. Weeks are going by really fast. Um, or so it feels to many. Uh, and I, I think that that's that that's the case, and it, it's probably tied to the interconnectedness of of media and information flow, and and there's always a new event, so it's like time could be measured in minutes, seconds, hours, days, weeks, months, whatever, but it, or it could just be measured in major events, and so there's such a cycle of flow of new information that it feels like things are moving faster. Um, and they fly I, I, everywhere in seconds. So a disease that would have died in one little neighborhood now, 10 years ago even, because those people in that neighborhood couldn't afford to fly. Now flying is available to almost everybody. So these, these, these problems are now much more real than they were when we had to have a world war to spread yeah. disease like that. Into not being negative, but it's really worth checking into right now while we have time at home. History. History is a good thing to look into. And, you know, not the Fox News version of history, <laughs> like, you know, try and dig into some, try and, try and dig into some of these things and have some fun with it, even trying to learn. I've, I've had a great time. Every time something happens, I become like an expert in history on that subject. <laughs> but now I'm getting a chance to understand viruses and, and virology. And it's, it's an interesting thing. And it's a micro, really, really microcosm of everything else. So it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a great time to check in. Like you said, we've all been sent to our rooms. Uh, that's a great way. Well, this is, this is what I, it's, you know, I'm seeing that meme a lot. I I think this is what I, I, like, we're having this conversation. We're, we're learning, we're feeling good. And yet there is, there is like a large energy of fear, anxiety and and panic still around us and people losing their jobs and, and not sure what's going to happen after this. And, and so, you know, it's like, how can we hold space for both of those? And I think, I think like what I want to go back, like 10 minutes or so to your description of regenerative, because you were speaking about the way that you think about regenerative is, you know, is minimal energy in for maximizing energy out. And then that starts to not out, but minimal energy to, to receive maximal energy. Um, Cause it's not input output, but it's circular, something like that. And it reminded me of, and you also mentioned earlier, you practice jujitsu. So it reminded me of the practice of jujitsu is in using the, the energy created by your opponent against them. So it's repurposing that energy. And I feel like we, we have the opportunity to use the energy of this quote unquote crisis and move it through that circle, you know, magician it. And and accelerate out of it in this incredible in this incredible path towards new systems, but I'm also compelled to say that I believe as your as you astutely pointed out that you know activism starts at the community level and simply mowing your neighbor's lawn is a regenerative act 
or helping, you know, an elderly in your community get food to their home is a regenerative act. I actually think it for sure. And I think I, but I even, I want to even bring it down a level to the individual because I think that we have to regenerate a sense of self, a sense of identity, a sense of purpose and a sense of self-love. Um, and, and if we're unable to, to go inwards and shift our, our, you know, the machine, because we're so bombarded by the, as you said, the media, that's, that's saying the president's bad and this is bad. And it's going so mega, so large scale, almost to distract us, not intentionally. I don't believe I'm not like, I'm not one that believes in like, you know, the world is run by lizard aliens that are trying to destroy us. Um, although it's possible. The distraction's like, enough, by the way. The distraction takes away your ability to even think it's possible to change. Yeah. And so I, I think we go in. I think we go in and, and we and we address. And as you said, like we're all activists, whether we like it or not. And so our own individual decisions, the way that we interact with community and friends and, and quote unquote enemies or those that we disagree with um, is where it starts. Well, a lot of the disagreements, at least when it comes down to like my neighbor and I disagree, we're not as far apart as we think. I've, at, at my farm over the years, we didn't have a phone or TV. So we've had upwards of 50 people living there at a time. Sometimes maybe half of them will be friends of mine and half will be like flowing through students or tourists or guests. So we have these deep conversations. And you can only, even with the people I disagree with the most, you can find common ground. So like when it comes to the enemy, there's only a few real, like, like things I know need to like, people I need, they need to go to jail. There's some people that need to go to prison. <laughs> like for real, people that, that cause, people that construct these systems knowing what's going to happen. Like, I, you know, we're going to have a moment, maybe justice. If you don't know justice, you can't know peace. Like a bunch of us who haven't been too affected by it, maybe the folks that are kind of in the middle class, we want change and we want it to be smooth. People that live under the boots of this, people in the communities that are always getting shot by the police, like they want some justice too. So we're going to have to have both those hats on where we know what we want. And we're going to visualize the beautiful world. We also have to keep bearings on what's happening because when you, if, if there's a hostage situation next door, you take that very seriously and you, you have the police deal with it because there's somebody doing something to another human. They're, they're affecting their sovereignty. They're doing something to them without consent, right? So we, we have to remember that some people are doing things to, to people without consent a lot. <laughs> so in all of this, we have to find space for both of it. And as a permaculturist on the ground doing my little beautiful community, I had situations that came up where I'm like, this person right here is malicious. And like, if I ran this community and this was the whole world, my farm, we'd have to like have a jail cell for this person because they're hurting other people. So like as a progressive liberal, like I'm checking in with all of history and all these systems that seem really dirty to me and seeing like, why does this exist? Why did we start doing that? And get back to, like you said, get down to the, the roots of this and then realize that it's not all going to be positive. Like there's going to be some weeding, well, why? But, but, but it all needs to be done. And we all need, we need to have a check-in about it all. And, and I found a lot of progressives, liberals, like they don't want to think about that part of it. So there's kind of this, as I mentioned earlier, a little hedonism on the, on the progressive side. We kind of turn inward too far. So I'm trying to make sure we do that inward check-in that every couple of years I go and take some mushrooms next to a waterfall and I make sure I'm good. <laughs> I also make sure that my friend, if one of my dearest friends is hurting others, that I check that even if I love them. And, you know, so there, there, there's, there's, a, there's a thing coming here where we have to maybe be bigger than what we've already conditioned ourselves to be more comprehensive in our, in our views. <laughs> Yeah, and as I got on the ground, I did this in the farm. I, I came down to like, oh man, even though I, I believe that everybody could do their best, some people don't. And, and that's what we're seeing right now in, in the world is some people don't. Some bankers don't do their best. 
they just take what they want. And, and so that, that's a, that's a kind of a negative part of this discussion, but we get there. And when we talk about shifting this new world, it's not just going to be us wanting to, we're going to have to shift the way we invest in things. We're going to have to shift where we put our, our hard earned money. And that's also going to mean we're probably going to have to adjust where a lot of the money that's been earned in society and it's sitting where it's sitting. Like I'm not saying reparations across the board, but there haven't been a lot of taxes paid in a lot of years and it's left a lot of holes in our community. Those aren't accidents that the schools are falling apart or that there's not enough money for vector control or that we aren't ready for viruses to come into our country. Those, those were holes that were dug or, or opened up uh, and we have to fill them back in. We have to remember that. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can have a dynamic conversation that isn't always just about the positive role, but about undoing some of the things from the past. We're going to have to go backwards a bit. As you said, you know, weeding. I love the, I love the analogies that you're able to draw because, because you work with the land you know, and, and you've experienced that and you see that there are, you know, like as you get deep into the jungle, there are things that can kill you. So it's not all, if you go into, if you go want to go deep into the Amazon with peace and love, you know, like yeah, God bless. the snake doesn't agree. The snake doesn't agree. And I've had like hippie types come to my farm and like they're chilling like three feet from the most dangerous snake in the Western hemisphere. And I'm like, my, my employee will walk up and like chop off its head. And it's a real situation. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're like that's if, it, if it's my time it's my time <laughs> well, dude, well if you if you say that that's one thing but to say that i'm just in snake energy right now like that's fun <laughs> that's, that's and i love that you said there really are jaguars and you have to act accordingly if you want to survive and thrive and if you want your kids to be happy and make good decisions every day because you've set forth their you know <clears throat> okay unrational fear irrational fear is bad Rational fear is like a human thing to stay alive. Keep your skin on the outside and your blood on the inside, right? Let's do that. <laughs> I mean, my friend, my friend, Kristen Ulmer is like, she, you know, she was a professional um, extreme skier for, for years. She was like tops. And she talks about fear because a lot of us have this relationship with fear, which is like, oh, we need to overcome fear. We need to, you know, we fear is the enemy, blah, blah, blah. But no, fear is just like a programming that's super important to us. It's just when fear gets out of control, it's the same, it's the same concept of like when your cell growth gets out of control, you have a cancer. When fear gets out of control, it's it's cancerous. But there is a there is a use case for fear. It's what keeps us from jumping off a cliff without a parachute. It's like an it's an it's an important tool. And, you can, and, you, and if you have a parachute and some practice, that you have a different kind of fear. It's like, oh, is my equipment right? Because I can jump off this cliff. Yeah. So I, it, it's 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 important that we don't just throw away the word fear or the word negative. Like I've had a lot of people in the progressive world as we could have had these, as we've had these conversations over the years where I feel like we could have got somewhere, but this conversation got stifled because they wouldn't allow the word any negativity in. And I'm like, well, how are we going to talk about what happened yesterday and not do it again? I'm, I'm on this massive Watts kick and I've been listening to the essential Alan Watts audio on audible. And I love him, man, because he holds space for it all. Yeah. You know, he was able to hold space for it all. And he talks about, you know, he talks about it in the cycles of, of the Hindu faith. Um, there are cycles where darkness reigns and, and then there are cycles where light reigns. And in the grand scheme of things, it's like, there's always just enough dark to check the light to make sure that, cause, cause without the, it's the, that, which is, which there is no witcher, like without, without a dark, there would be no light. It's just enough, you know? And so we have to be cognizant of that and, and aware that that exists and, and confront that that shadow, and and I think yeah, that's you don't want a life with no dark, or you don't get any good, like for real, like mm -hmm. a, a piece of rock, like iron doesn't care. 
<laughs> you're living. <laughs> you do. And and it does matter. And and the feelings matter. So like and but without that darkness, you don't know happiness, right? And I didn't know how I'm a pretty positive person in my life. I smile a lot. And I had a very negative thing happen at my farm years ago. A young woman died on a horseback ride, swept away by a river, 13. And we didn't know she was dead. And I went off to try and rescue her and it didn't work. She was dead. And, and so like, I, but you know what happened to me is that in the middle of all this, I was like halfway into my farming project. And this kind of thing happens and maybe ends a project from progressing, you know, maybe the, the feeling's too much. But I spent, I spent a, prob- a year really diving into how I had avoided said those, those real not avoided, but I had I'd kind of been shunning those in my mind about the, the negative things and kind of not putting that in the factor or into the equation. And through that very terrible situation, I came out with a, with a much more grounded positive energy that's grounded in that loss is very real and you better be ready for that just as much as the next happy moment. And, and being ready for that can actually make a community stronger. And maybe in the West, we can look at death a little different in the future too. Uh, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> It's been an interesting thing. Having that intense negative thing happen brought me into a more grounded positivity, which is weird to me, but makes sense in hindsight. Yeah, it does. I mean, you look, it's, it's not weird because it's, it is aligned with the concept of regeneration, you know, like, like flowing energies from light to dark and, and back. And, and then, as you mentioned, the relationships to death, you know, that is also a part of regeneration as, as you, as you're well aware, you know, and I just watched Fantastic Fungi and I'm getting deeper into this stuff, like mushrooms decompose and, and they're the, the end of life and the beginning of life. They're both there. So, man, we're living in such fascinating times right now. It's, it's, it's beyond, it's, it's just so beyond. It's, it's, it's a trip. It's such a trip. Well, yeah, and we're <laughs> getting to live in a time when you can see it all, right? Because there's all, it's, it's probably always been just as interesting. It's just we were so, in, we were so localized in information. Mm-hmm. And you're so localized in like being able to actually feel for someone at a distance. Even if you could hear the story or read it in a paper. To see a video of a person dealing with something, whether it be good or bad from a distance, that's really burning into our heads. And we're at the first, this is like the first point in history when you and I can see the last few years, when we can see a tsunami and what it did to some village in the middle of a country I didn't even know existed. Yeah. <laughs> and then I can feel for that person. And while it might not, it might, some people go, why are you watching that? That's negative. I'm like, I actually want to feel that this human existed and that they recorded this and that they put it out there. And now I, now it's there. And now I know this happened in that spot and I can feel compassion. Um, and maybe I can take action, you know, for something like a tsunami, it's making sure there's a little more technology out in some poor person's ocean too, that warns them for, the Wuhan markets in China, it's making sure that our policy doesn't stop them from getting calories from U.S. farmers or some weird trade fucking rule. So they have to go eat bats, right? Or whatever it is. Uh, like uh, these, these things have causes. And if we stop worrying about how it's going to make us feel to dive into it, I think we can, we can process it differently. Absolutely. I think we have this, you know, there's spiritual bypass. Um, everybody just wants to be in the light. And we just passed Easter and it's like, yeah, Easter is the, you know, Easter is the resurrection, right? Like it's, it's the rising up, but there had to be the crucifixion for there to be a resurrection. And, and that, that, you know, that image, um, that myth is, and Joseph Campbell talks about this and Jordan Peterson and people much more, you know, tuned than I am, but that myth is, is there for a reason. It's to remind us that, you know, it's to remind us that we have to be in touch with it all. It's all yeah, part, of, it's all part of the game. Peterson. 
you brought a smile to my heart because I, most of my liberal friends hate it that I even like him. Uh, but Jordan Peterson changed my world um, in a very positive way. He made me check in deeply about like the need for these different views and how they play together so well if you can do it right. And uh, yeah. it's funny you mentioned his name because he's been like a prophet for me in a way. And for me, checking in on my own views and then like crossing the bridge a little more and learning how to think like him a little more. Whether or not I believe what he says, I'm, I'm learning why and how he thinks that way. And he's changed my life a lot. And I know he's That's had awesome. a tough time the last months, but if Jordan Peterson's out there, you have a, somebody in the jungles of Costa Rica that adores you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and just... The, a super just, liberal progressive commie, by the way, who adores you. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's just to your point, there's more common ground than there is, you know, disconnection. And we're, we're all one. We're all, we are, I know that sounds maybe a little woo woo ish, but, but man, go out and speak to that person that you disagree with. If you're listening, you know, like don't discount what they have to say because of, because of where they're from or, or what they might represent to you. And that's one of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, look, I was just going to say, look at, look at America. I mean, the American political system has been completely corrupted and under our noses while, while, you know, different uh, one and the same powers pit the average person against each other on, on wedge issues that really are just such a small part of it all. Small part yeah, of drinking water is much more important to my neighbor than, than that on a daily basis. So like, like I've tried to, I've, I've dove deeper into the conversation with people I disagree. I just try and avoid those hot button, hot button things until we love each other. Well, once love is established or, or respect, then people want to know why you think the way you think. But if you're just going to get combative or just dive into that one bad issue with your uncle at Thanksgiving again this year, it's going to go the same way as in the past. I bet if you talk to your, your uncle at Thanksgiving, I use that example a lot because a lot of people ruin Thanksgivings with activism. <laughs> I'm saying show up with a different kind of activism. It's maybe this year, how do you find what your uncle loves? And I bet you my most redneck uncle that is like racist and a hater and thinks environmentalist or full of shit <laughs> loves the forest and hunts and needs a healthy forest. And actually, they are some of the most dedicated environmentalists. They just would never call themselves that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I've, 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 in Oregon, you have to bridge these things if you want to have neighbors. Yeah. I feel like the Pacific Northwest is so fascinating in that regard. Oregon has its own unique character, so I don't mean to rope it in with you know, with Washington and, and, and BC and in, in Canada, but man, it, it is, it, it is the, le the far left and the far right yeah. all gathered. I grew up in a place where the left, left next to me was Ashland, Oregon, with people that I never even heard of tofu in the seventies in Ashland, Oregon. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then to my right is like a militia bunker with M fifties, you know, ready to go. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, this is a weird state. So, but, and then Portland, people think Oregon is all Portland, but I grew up in Medford and Medford is not Portland. So, but I got to tell you something, the marijuana movement here has brought the teams together. There is now like a farmer hippie alliance and it's come through weed and wine, frankly. Uh, I think that we're, we're finding the ground. It's our vices. Here. It's our vices that bring us together sometimes. It is. It is. Or the medicines, whatever you want to call it. But ah, medicines, true. Sometimes the same thing. Great point. <laughs> thank you for, thank you for correcting me on that. It's just funny. I came back to Oregon after being gone for 15 years and I saw more unity than ever. And even though Trump's in power, I see more unity. And people ask me, I didn't come back here at all for 14 years. I was gone from the time Bush was president until last May. I didn't touch U.S. soil. And people are like, oh, my God, are you really hating it now? I was like, actually, no. On the ground, there's a lot more collaboration than ever. 
on the TV, there's a lot more divisiveness than ever. Not that I don't watch that still and try and take it in because I, I even watch Fox News a couple of times a week so I can talk to my uncle. Yeah, for sure. I think I think it's important to be able to check in with that. I mean, I told my dad, like my dad was on a healthy diet. You know, I'm from a, a Long Island, New York, you know, Jewish liberal family. And, and uh, you know, my dad is like watching MSNBC and CNBC and and uh and cnn and and avoiding fox like the plague and just getting riled up about trump and oh i can't fucking stand him and this and that and I, he's the worst and blah, blah blah i'm like you gotta watch fox news fox news a little bit understand where they're try to understand their position try to understand where they're coming from and i think you need i think you need to be able to you need to be able to hold space for a lot of opposing ideas because you know the three most important words in the english language right now at this point in time I'm really starting to lean into this. The three most important words are I don't know. Right after that could come, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I, and I don't say, by the way, as we said that about Fox News, it is not like the other side. It is propaganda and it's terrible. But, but when I'm talking to my friends that listen to that or people that listen to that, I want to make sure that I'm, I know what they're hearing, you know. So it can it could be it's more of a research for me rather than like oh hey what's this other side thinking but I'm with you I'm, I've decided to take in all I could and all I can all I can handle at least and then try and decipher it in a way that brings people together um, at, at my farm it's been a, a deep lesson in that because we'll have people live together for three months and it's like we're gonna live together for three months and this is my uncle who was in like Korea he was a bomber. And this like hippie who who thinks that he's a Starlight. baby killer, and now you're living together for three yeah. months. Let's do it. <laughs> and so that may be the most that. valuable lessons from my farm is those those like things that you do when you really have to, like just when you have to live. And and while we talk about abortion or gun rights or or uh, geopolitical political policy, I'm planting trees. I'd like, let's do that while we do something else. Now I've been having like deep conversations while I ride my bike. You know, I'm like trying to multitask and do some positive things that make me breathe, make the planet breathe, whatever it is, that bring community together while having tough discussions. Why can't we do that? I don't like it that we only yell at each other about politics on TV. We should do it in the garden. Mm. I love that. Because at that. least afterwards do we accomplish something. There's three yeah. trees planted. <laughs> Yeah, three trees planted, some food on the ground or, or whatever it might be. The house is cleaned. I love that. It's like our, a friend of mine had a sticker, argue naked. <laughs> she was more on the hippie side, argue naked. I love that. Um, I want to I say one more. It's good to remember, though. Arguing isn't bad. It's how we think. It's funny because you mentioned Jordan Peterson a minute ago, and he really checked, checked me on like what free speech really is. And free speech is actually about thinking. Right? It's, uh, free speech actually inspires thought, right? It's like, I am actually not thinking fully until I bounce it off you and you help fix, figure it out with me and your different opinion says, nah, that part's not right for me at least. So like we, we can't be afraid to be wrong right now. And we can't be afraid to think that we can say almost anything in our heads if we're going to say it in like a conversation. Not, you know, I can't say, I can't say a lot of things just in a, in a regular conversation. But if you and I were going to sit in a, in, a, in a classroom and say, hey, we want to discuss racism, we could go anywhere with it if we're going to discuss it. But people are really afraid to go anywhere with discussions now because they think they'll be labeled as the thing they took a position on. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's cancel culture. I mean, cancel culture is it's terrible. I mean, you, there needs to be space for the free flow of ideas. I completely, completely agree with you. And, and free speech and is tough. Liberals are like pushing back against free speech in a way because we're afraid 
of older ideas or we're afraid of ideas maybe a little bit that seems so nasty. But if but I like I can talk about the 30s without being in Hitler, right? I can talk about that. Like so we need to remember because that's one of the things that's killing co- the the college culture and like why professors aren't helping students develop this this spirit of revolution in part because they'll get canceled like Brett did from Brett Weinstein did from <laughs> Evergreen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I've, uh, I've chosen as a person who runs a project who has education to just say what I feel. And I'm sure lots of people cancel me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you're here right now. You're not going to be getting canceled from this show. That's for sure. I'm I'm enjoying this too much. I was going to say, like, it's just it's just so interesting. Like, I, even just boiling it down, like, I was starting to feel a little bit, um, just going back to, like, the U.S. situation, I was feeling a little bit just depressed by our politics and one thing, because the the checks and balances seem to be completely out of whack, and you know Trump you, used this opportunity of the crisis to fire um, a few um, internal I, what are not attorney generals, but um, like whistleblowers and people who were trying to yeah check. yeah. And yesterday yeah, exactly. he had total authority. He used the word total. Power. Yeah, the president has total authority, and people aren't checking him. And then you know you you think you think he gets one more Supreme Court justice if he gets reelected, which he probably will. And the Republicans in in Congress don't check him um, and his power. And so, you know, I was starting to feel pretty depressed about like where the government was going. And and then it's like, you know, these governors step up and you're like, oh, yeah, federalism. Oh, yeah, there's another check on the government of the United States. And it's at this it's as you get smaller and smaller, the little guys are there to check the big guys. So now the large states are coming together and saying, no, that's not how it's going to go. California is the fifth largest economy in the world on its own. And New York is huge. And we're going to step up. And then other states coming in Florida, wherever, wherever. And now it's like, oh, yeah, states' rights is coming. Isn't it peculiar vote. that the right wing is, is, is the federal power right now? It's peculiar. <laughs> I, everything <laughs> Trump has been saying the last few days is driving his base crazy because they hate it when he says that the feds will just do what they want. So he's probably destroying the Republican Party, actually, which is which is I am enjoying this. It's a, it's, that's a great part of this. You say you're, it's depressing. I, I say what would have been depressing is eight more years of faux liberalism and extinction of all the animals in the jungle while things went along as normal. I prefer this accelerated uh, to the like another 10 or 15 years of faux, faux liberalism. This is not like the, the Sanders, it means the fact that Sanders even exists in, in the public light, when you consider they were like the FBI was hanging uh, socialists out of windows by their feet in the 70s and the 60s, like for real, like co-intel pro, like, like, like the difference between our national attitude now like you can say, I'm a socialist out loud and get that close to the presidency. And Sanders didn't lose anything. He pushed the conversation. And so did Yang. We are now, we are, we're full on now coming into the UBI world, that universal basic income. Oh, yeah. We're going to realize all the things. It's so funny. Trump's like the, he's just like absorbing everything. You know, it's like UBI now is a Republican thing. Um, they're going to do an infrastructure project. It's going to be like Trump's FDR style new deal. Like it's just really bizarre the way that this is happening. And to your point, my friend Jake always says this all the time. He's like, uh, you know, Trump is like a vaccine. It's like, get, get, maybe not a vaccine, but giving yourself a little bit of the virus, you know, <laughs> to give yourself that. It feels like more than a little, getting, but yeah. Yeah, it might be an overdose. You, you have to be careful about the dosing. But it is so crazy. And Term was a good dose. I don't want the two-term dose, but I think it's coming too. Um, yeah, I think it's coming as well. And to your point on, you know, the, the cancel culture and stuff, it's like, as things are now really, we're in crisis mode, we're seeing a lot of that start to fall away. It's almost like a privileged position to be in, to 
you know, to be fit, creating these like ridiculous, what I believe to be ridiculous conversations around, you know, um, and uh, just, I don't know, you good, me bad, whatever it might be. I don't even want to go there, but, but um, we're seeing real, we're seeing more kind of like pertinent issues coming to the forefront. uh, Let's call it. And it is funny how like, you know, Republicans are like Democrats in drag right now. And, and, <laughs> and well, there, there hasn't been a true Republican or Democrat for a while because of the corporate effect. So it, like it's, it's, or there hasn't been leadership that way in a while. So it's weird when they, like I said, when emergencies happen, all of a sudden, every, all these little things matter because these mechanisms need to function now. It's not politics right now. It's government. Like the, the, the election is politics. Yeah. What's happening right now needs government. And we don't, I don't hate government. I don't like politics and the way it plays out. But my, my cousin works for the employment department. My, my uncle's a trash man. Like government is actually people who keep your streets paved and like a lot of good things. Politics are the part we hate on. So right now the politics is realizing it doesn't know how to govern. And, and that's, that's real trouble. So yeah, yeah, it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. To, it doesn't help us when you go up there and do your political thing every day just so that the stock market will stay a little high one more day. It doesn't actually help us deal with the problem. So sometimes like the wrong idea will help you with the problem, you know, like a a myth that's wrong can still help you. Like people who believe porcupines shoot their quills stay safer, even though porcupines don't shoot their Mm. quills, they they stay further away from porcupines. So their little myth actually helps them get hit by porcupines less. So sometimes your myths help. (laughs) These myths that he's pitching every day and this is not helping. So like this, this is a very interesting time to have myths that don't help. And I hope I, I hope what you're what we're saying is that this is coming to an end, this bad idea. But but it's not going to happen in a week or a month. Like we're now like woken up like a vaccine where we have to be the white blood cells. Like we we have to do that. It's mm. it's not like once this happens, it's it's better. It's once this happens, you need leaders to step up and make it better. <laughs> so it's time it's time to lead, not time to wait. And if Trump will win again because he didn't win before and he's still president. So I don't think he'll win. I think he'll be president again. Uh, I agree. <laughs> and, I agree. and we'll believe he won. <clears throat> I agree. But but that 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 that's motivating me more than ever and to to do more and to talk with you more about this and to and to follow up these conversations with very maybe a very detailed. Well, podcast. that's what I was going to say. We went super high level here for the last you know hour and fifteen, and and we we I, this has been so this has been so fun, and I I've greatly enjoyed it. And I, I, um, I, I just do, I would love to learn more about black sheep and, and what you guys have been up to and, and girls and, and everyone, you know, 3000, 4,000 people. And maybe you can share a little bit more there from the time you went to Costa Rica until present, the 14 years you've been in the jungle. <laughs> I, well, when I got down there, I didn't know what to do. And it was me and about 10 friends that, that bought this land together. Uh, we call it Verdenergia, which means green, green energy, green energy. Mm. And uh, we, we chose this spot that just was totally deforested, was an old pig farm, cow farm, and wanted to see what was possible. So we just started chipping away at that as a bunch of like uh, amateurs and, and for, at forestation, reforestation, just out there planting trees, working with our neighbors. And over the years, it really developed into a dynamic system. We had thousands of people show up from teachers to students that taught us how to do this and learned from us how to do this. And about seven or eight years in, about 2013, uh, uh, palm oil company was going to buy the farm above me and clear cut it and put in monoculture chemical palm uh african palm trees not that there's anything wrong with an african palm tree but you know the way they use it not so good so uh that was my beautiful little oasis was going to be flooded with chemicals 
Um, and you know, I moved 6,000 miles away to the middle of nowhere and then they pulled me back in. So <laughs> I, I, for, you know, I thought I was away. I was, my activism was no longer going to get sprayed. It was just going to plant trees. <laughs> I was out of it, man. I left, I got away from them and then they, they bought the farm across from me or they tried. And, uh, I, I had meetings with high level, like, uh, attorneys from frankly, from like cartels that are cleaning money up in the jungle down there. They use palm fields to do, uh, money laundering. So I got right in their face and said, not in my community. And I, I could have just as easily been murdered over this, but instead 10 of my friends came together. We reached out to our bigger community and we bought that farm within a week and I had no money in my pocket. And we had 200 grand in a week when we put the call out. And I was like, wait, I had a team now, four or 5,000 people. And when I put a call out on a serious need, it, it was filled in minutes. And so I decided what happens if we do that again? And the farm across from me, which pours into my river, was going to sell to another palm oil interest, put out another call and over a few weeks bought another farm. Mm. So realizing the, 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 the power of what an organization, any organization can do, right? When you get people together and that, that whole Sanders thing of 27 bucks times whatever, 10 million people, we were doing this with 500 bucks times 500 people or 100 bucks times 10,000 people. And we, we started to have like collective action that worked and we, it was growing. All of a sudden, my idea that was mostly just about donating to the jungle turned into something that was compounding quickly. And we had to make sure that it was going to be done in an intelligent way. I, I couldn't take, couldn't just start piling up land and then hope. So as our farm grew, as any small farmer knows, um, you get to a point where your economy of scale just doesn't work unless you put a lot of investment in. You can't get the right tractors or you can't get the right greenhouses or you can't get the right processing equipment to extract essential oils from medicinal. You really, you're just uh, like farming for, honestly, for about slave wages. So as we grew our farms and listening to my neighbors, it became really clear what farmers needed. And what farmers needed was access to capital. They needed access to collaboration and scaling and they needed access to the market and so costa rica is a long way from any like real market there's only a few hundred thousand people in the middle class there so uh the u.s market most of my frankly like totally disconnected never had a phone maybe can't even read neighbors they they were at a loss for this globalized economy so black sheep was formed to like formalize the response from that, that could that could fill in all of these niches from the way you land an investor because like my neighbors, if they took an investor, an American investor, historically what happens, it's Dole or it's Chiquita. They just take their land and everybody gets shoved into, into you know, poverty. Mm-hmm. So to not repeat those mistakes, but like still give local folks an option to access global markets and to access global investment. So Black Sheep really grew out of all the needs that farmers had. And, and frankly, out of the need from the market. Like there's a huge demand for good products now. 25 years ago didn't matter much if you said organic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 40 years ago, it didn't matter at all. And, and the few places that could like afford organics, San Francisco, Portland, New York, you know, that was a very niche market. So it was very small, but, but the market's been demanding it, especially as, as, as the people realize how sick they're getting from conventional agriculture, right? And uh, how sick it's making the planet. So in the last years, there's been a big momentum. The courts are helping us sue Monsanto. Monsanto's lost two, two and a half billion dollars in, in uh, judgments, just the three people for giving them cancer. So like it's now in front of mind, even in the major media that food or the, that farming can be harmful, right? That's very, that's very obvious now, or it can be if you choose to look into it. So the timing's right. Uh, the, the world is listening. The markets are ready for really good, high quality products. 
Um, the re- now, now more than ever, we're realizing the, the faults, the faults in having supply chains that run so far. You want, you want your, your, you want your turmeric. We, well, we have tropics in the U S well, it's national security too now. Yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> these pieces are now falling right into place for, for, for good regenerative. I know it's incredible. Does that mean my neighbor knows how to negotiate a contract with, with a lawyer from the North when they can't even read? Like for real, I'm not being nasty. Let's say this 55 year old man never went to school, but he's amazing at everything else. You know, he'd blow your mind. He's brilliant. Well, so to, to, to be there to help them negotiate this, we've open sourced uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in uh, legal and accounting work and all the things that, that build the infrastructure around constructing co-ops that bring food from farm to the face and bring investments from the north to the south and vice versa and do it in a fair and just way, as fair as you can. Um, fair is a tough word, in a, in a way that, that considers all parts of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So that's how Black Sheep was born. And Black Sheep has now been scaling for the last three years. We're adding more farms. In the last year, we've added a thousand new uh, acres of production in Costa Rica. Excellent. Uh, so, we, and now we're here in the U.S. creating market the market access. So we're becoming a kind of a regenerative premier ingredients and superfoods company. In the background, where we're just like our products will get absorbed into other companies. You won't even know we're there. Um, and then we have a few forward-facing retail products we're bringing out because we've developed some great products from the jungle and. And these products help support farmers directly. So, mm. but yeah, everything Black Sheep did was really a, the well-thought-through response to all the needs that farmers had. So, and this is nothing new. Co-ops existed before. They've just been beaten down a lot. And uh, I really did re- say the book earlier, the Get Up, Stand Up. I highly recommend reading that book. It's about the late 1800s farmers' progressive movement that really almost worked to change our world. So I'm, I'm picking up that, that um, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to read that one. Um, before I got involved with steward, which is how we met, um, which is on a similar trajectory, you know, Dan, the founder has been spending time with farmers, you know, for the last half a decade, um, started with financing, which is clearly an important piece for the, for the little guy who, you know, can't even figure out the paperwork for getting a grant, you know, let alone getting, you know, a loan or, or even some, some equity financing for their, for their farm. But there's, Un, a huge unmet demand for their product. Um, so it's clear there's a need here. But Dan, the first thing he gave to me when I got involved was uh, Wendell Berry's The Unsettling of America. And that was written in the 1970s. And I was like, holy shit, this guy was right about everything. I, I was just like, I was like, how have I never heard of this? He's, he's a modern philosopher. I mean, he's, he's, he was just right. And so- uh, It doesn't help the corporate media to put him on. It actually hurts them in the long term. That's why you don't know who he is. <laughs> before <laughs> yeah so that we'll, we'll add we'll add manu we'll add manufacturing consent to the list of, of reads <laughs> yeah and there's there's just there's amazing leaders right now that aren't getting the play on nbc cbs and, and abc but people like chris hedges they, they these are my like that's like the new mlk for me people who are leading from the spiritual side and i'm i'm like oh died in the wool atheist um and my dad's a preacher so you know i came to that in an interesting way, but uh, the language that he speaks, that my dad has and the cadence and the thing that speaks to people's hearts through spiritualism, we need to find that same kind of trigger and words to get people to take action here. Cause the logic has been out there a long time. We've known that rivers are polluted and that the sky who can't breathe in LA, but what do we do about it? So it's like, we need to figure out how to speak to people's that same way that MLK spoke to people. I mean, we need to find that that heartstring and pull on it in a different way. Cause it hasn't worked just to talk about science so far. No, I, I agree. I think it's, that's so beautiful that you mentioned that. 
Um, I, a few years back had a, had a, a realization about my own purpose or what I believe to be one of my, you know, yeah, not one, my purpose. I, I find, um, I'm on a path to becoming a bridge between the heart and the mind. And I really, really, really want to lean into that. And I think that the, I think that the heart, you know, the heart center of, of our humanity, of, of the global population, the global village, our systems, whatever is what's been missing. We got too mind heavy and it's, it's because the mind is, speaks the language that we all have been programmed to understand. We get it, but the heart speaks a completely different language. It saved us from starvation. It saved us from yellow fever all the time. It did. Like a lot of those progress stopped our kids from dying at one on average or whatever, you know? Yeah. Look at penicillin. Forget that part. We go back too far and then we're like, oops, my kids are all dying of fevers again. We want to be hybrid about this. I'd go through it myself all the time. I'm like, yeah. crush it all. Go back to it normal. We'll go back to <laughs> I'm like, well, shit. Then my kid dies from a snake bite for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like another, another cut and he's becoming more controversial. Um, but like Naval Ravikant was saying, just yesterday on this conference about authoritarianism and COVID called COVIDCon, the Human Rights Foundation did it. Um, what I thought was really interesting that you'll appreciate, I, I think, is he was saying that previously, like 30, 40, 50 years ago, the dream of many young people was the, the city socialite. I want to go be a banker or a lawyer or whatever. I want to, you know, go to brunch or, or whatever it is and rub elbows and, you know, whatever, right? That was like the, what people went to college for. Now the dream is the technology-enabled farmer. You know, I want land, I want space, I want to, you know, I, I want to be able to sustain myself and, and be safe and, and in my own sovereignty. But there's still, he has the tech-enabled part because that's his background. You couldn't have tech. it both before. You couldn't have it both. Now I can be talking to you from my farm. I can have culture in, in my living room. It was a real bummer for living off-grid. I went off-grid. You know what I missed the most? Live music. Ooh, <laughs> jumping around in a mosh pit with people and like and like you know you could hit them. In I was gonna say, all right, mosh pit. Let's, that who, fell away. Who's your go-to? Who's your go-to? I'm actually into only local bands. I couldn't name a large band I like. I'm really into local music. And down there, there's some local music in Costa, but you know it's very culturally. It's like it, I didn't understand it at first and stuff. I didn't know the language. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to come across you in a mosh pit. I don't think. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'll pick you up and give you a hug afterwards. So, but uh, but uh, it's just it, that was some of the stuff that you know we don't maybe we we can't understand anymore. Is that before you couldn't have it both. Now that you can, it's not like we wanted the city life. We wanted that socialite life. And honestly, it was like success from like the industrial revolution on to get away from physical work. Right. And then the second we got into town and started getting away from physical work, we started having heart attacks at 37 and, and you know, overweight. And so we started going to the gym and then we we're just like, man, why couldn't I do this outside and just farm again? So we're coming for a circle, but you couldn't be on the farm and have that culture before. So now you can. Now I can watch a YouTube video of, you know, anything. You can learn infinite information while you're farming, listen to a podcast while you're farming and. Oh, yeah. Before I was so far off as a farmer in the first years, even because there was no Internet down in Costa yet, really. As the podcast world popped up, I started feeling less like I was off grid immediately. It's pirate radio. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially podcasts, because the way people converse on here, like I got to know my friends. I mean, I, I started to feel like you as the interviewer were my buddy or my voice. And, yeah. and it, it was really interesting. And so I started feeling that like marriage of the, the city person and the off grid Luddite. Let's do it. But let's make sure that people in the country have access to the internet because it was it's been very difficult for the young people around me. Like it's a real it's a real thing. Like that it, for us, we like choose to go live off grid for the for the people in the developing world like that have never used the internet. Like 
we need to make sure we add that part out there so they can have this fun part to this uh, culture I think too. There's a lot of there's a lot of progress being made on that front, um, which is which is fantastic. Um, satellites and and other new technology for for you know getting it out in rural areas. My friends in the rural area didn't even know COVID was real until like a week ago. They're really disadvantaged, mm. especially being in like a conservative area. Well, it also costs money. Yeah, and will be very poor. Like they, they don't ever believe what the government has told them because it's always gone pretty bad. Mm. So we, we have a real, we have, there's a, like, it's, a, it's actually national security that people in the smallest places still have access so that we can know what's happening. So these things don't, like the virus has spread so quick, right? So I think maybe we'll have a check-in after this about how much more we need access everywhere. I think that that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Josh, thanks so much for coming on, man. I, I, it's been so great to connect with you. This is really fun. And let, let's dive in on some very specific things in the future. If you'd like to do like some 10-minute drop-ins, just about one subject, love to do that too. Ah, that'd be cool. I wanted, I wanted to experiment with new formats. So yeah, I People think that- People really love an online education now from the, the way we talk about soil rebuilding. There's one gardening class online at OSU here, Oregon State University. 18,000 people had signed up for it already last week. So like wow. right now, there's, there's, a, there's a strong desire for like practical things to do. And if you'd like to just, maybe we could dive in on that a bit and, and lay out a- uh, Yeah, let's, let's rip. And people would love, maybe, I know people right now like, hey, how do I make sure that my soil's doing good in my backyard? I don't know if you're into that, but there's a lot of needs for that. Or maybe it's how are we going to check in about how communities work better together? You know, I, I would lo- I would love to riff on a lot of those things with you. So we'll we'll figure it out. We'll get a schedule going. Maybe we could do 10, 20 minute segments. I think that would be I really have some cool. great people I'd like to put in this call with us because panels are always better than this. Uh, for yes. The people there's a guy named David Bloom you need to meet in the Bay Area who's okay. doing amazing things. Uh, there's a few other people I really need you to meet and, and be on your show and, or maybe do a panel. Yes. I would love to have, I, I, that's how I always get guests for the show is I have conversations like this and then it's like, Hey, who else do you think I should talk to? And it starts to just, you know, web out from there. If anybody wants to chat with me, please get in touch with me. You're yeah. That's what I was going to say. So, so I'll share in the show, in the show notes, but what, you know, before we go, is there anything like, if there's anything just calling to you that you want to share with the listeners, um, you know, how they can get in touch with you, et cetera. Or anything else, just you know, floor is yours. Uh, check out our, our website, weareblacksheep.org, and see what we're up to. Um, you can get a hold of me, Joshua, at weareblacksheep.org. Um, we're really in this for not just for our business, but for the conversation and for growing this whole idea. So I'm really, I, I've been doing shout outs on these on any podcast I've done. I've had a hundred percent amazing response. I even put my phone number out on the last one. I got 800 phone calls, 100% positive. So <laughs> uh, I, want, I want people to contact me. I want to talk about this. Um, I want to help people take steps forward. I'm also open sourcing all of our legal, all of our accounting stuff so that other small co-ops can like build on this instead of spending a half a million dollars themselves on lawyers. <laughs> so Crazy. Well, awesome. I'm going to get all this information in the show notes along with some great reads and and thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's I, such a pleasure for me too, Mark. Thank, thank you. And I'm loving this, uh, even though I'm stuck at home and you're stuck at home. Like, I feel like I'm getting more connect, connection right now. I'm not socially distancing. I'm physically distancing. Exactly. And it's a, it's a great distinction. It's super important. I love it. Brother. I'm brother. Thank you. Yeah. yeah.
All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Lookup every Wednesday morning, Eastern time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have. 